Hello out there in internet land, and welcome once again to the D&D Podcast. I am your host, Mike Merles, and joining me this week are Jeremy Crawford. Hello, everyone. Rodney Thompson. Hey, everybody. And special guest, Chris Perkins. Hello. So, <laughs> so this week, we're going to talk a bit about PAX East, which Chris and I both attended. And we're also going to talk about an adventure that Chris co-wrote with a special guest author who I'll let Chris tell us about, titled The Minds of Madness. So, Chris, to start with, why don't you tell us a little bit about The Minds of Madness and the process behind its creation? Scott Kurtz wanted to do a new comic, a spinoff from PvP, because of the success he had with a storyline in that comic about the characters going down into a dungeon called The Minds of Madness. Scott wanted to do it because he is a huge D&D goob, and uh, he thought he had a lot of interesting stories to tell about it. So he came to us and said, want to do something cool at PAX East? We came up with the idea of the adventure because we thought it would be fun to actually put people through the misery of having to go through that dungeon and see if they could fare any better than the characters oh, was, in the cartoon. It was so awesome, though. Yeah. <laughs> so for those of you uh, at home, so Rodney and yes. Jeremy have both had a chance to play the adventure. I, I ran the adventure. Oh, you ran the adventure. And I played so the DM. So, why don't you, so Jer- I'll start with the Jeremy. Jeremy, what was your most memorable thing from the adventure? And, oh. re- and remember, people who are listening to this probably haven't played it yet, so no spoilers. Uh, wow. No, okay. no spoilers. What so, was really memorable? So uh, the two things I'll pick... I won't give anything away, but I'll simply say I loved the outhouse and the incident with the Electrum pieces. That's okay. Pretty, that's pretty good. Yeah. The latter was particularly awesome. The outhouse kind of was there to set the tone for the adventure early yeah. on. Yeah. The yeah. outhouse is the first thing you will encounter when you yes. play this adventure. Yeah. Yeah, that that was certainly memorable. <laughs> the, the outhouse, the outhouse, the very appropriately says, "Do not enter." Right. Yeah. I would say my most memorable moment from running it was shortly after they visited the outhouse. I don't know how to say it without being spoilery. Let's just put it this way. There was a scene that was very reminiscent of Dr. Strangelove when Slim Pickens is riding the, uh, riding the missile down. Uh, basically the same thing, only with uh, a monster involved. Yes. One of the more fun things to create about the adventure were a lot of foreshadowing elements planting things in early encounters that would either be useful or give hints to things that were coming later on. I did the bulk of the writing on that, but Scott and I pretty much shared all of, we put everything, all of our ideas into that adventure and tried to make it as easy to run for the DM as possible. The only thing they should have to worry about is basically controlling their laughter. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's a total hoot. I mean, just wonderful, fun house adventure. So at PAX East, we, that's where the adventure premiered. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the uh, adventure and the DM's challenge that went, around, went along with it? Yeah, we had a very large area in the tabletop uh, section of the con, which was pretty much packed the whole show. It was quite awesome to see. And we ran uh, Minds of Madness on the uh, Friday night and Saturday night, uh, packed the place. We sadly had to turn a few people away, but hopefully they'll have another chance to play it. And, and by a few, you mean several hundred several people hundred per day. Several hundred people, yes. yes. <laughs> um, but now the adventure has been uh, posted as part of our playtest package. Everybody can enjoy it. And uh, we had all kinds of volunteer DMs there running it. Some DMs who had read it beforehand, some who hadn't. Uh, but everybody seemed to have a spectacular time. Every group came out of it with piles and piles of very different stories about their misadventures, mishaps. One particular story that stood out in my mind was the party. A party got to a particular room where they have to make a sacrifice. Uh, I won't say the nature of the sacrifice or the details, but 
it ended up basically killing off the entire party. Actually, four characters died, and then the other two committed suicide. It was very sad. Their honor would not permit them to live. So now, when you ran this at... uh, PAX East, did you do the special thing that you did when we ran it here? Because when we ran it here at the office, Chris would pop in occasionally and uh, throw a monkey wrench into the adventure might be an appropriate way to describe it. Yeah, we came up with these cards, this deck of cards that we'd walk around with, Scott and I, and we would just drop by people's games, make them draw these random cards, read the effects aloud, and suffer those effects. Some of them were good. Some of them were not so good, and some of them were kind of, they could be good or they could be bad. It all hinged on die rolls at the table. Like everybody has to roll a die, and the lowest result triggers this effect, or if everybody rolls odd, this triggers effect, or this effect goes off. Those turned out to be just random, chaotic fun. I will confess that on the last day of the show, about halfway through doing this exercise, I actually went through my deck and loaded it. (laughs) <laughs> with, with, with the good ones or the bad ones? With all bad ones, of <laughs> Well, actually, there was one that I left in there, which was called Wandering Oracle, which, you, which was you could ask Scott or Chris three questions about the dungeon, and we would provide you with truthful, short answers. Uh, one, <laughs> one of the players actually asked, really? <laughs> and I said, yes. That is one. <laughs> that is one. It's like wasting a wish with a genie. Exactly. We were very, very cruel. Overall, pretty exciting show. Like Chris mentioned, uh, it was a little disappointing. We weren't able to get everyone seated. We literally had, I think, more people who wanted to play than, like, twice as many people showed up to play at D&D than we could actually seat. So it was good to see people who are excited about Next and are excited about uh, Minds of Madness and Table Titans. Uh, and so we're already thinking next year to make sure, you know, doing what we can to make sure everyone who wants to play will get a chance to play. So that's definitely a high priority for me. Thanks, hats off to our DMs who turned out, to Willie Berger for running the entire thing for us at PAX East. Uh, I had a good time, so hopefully everyone who turned out to play D&D at PAX East also had a good time. Uh, it was also great to see so many people playing tabletop games at a, at a digital game convention. So uh, that was pretty cool to see. Yeah, when we did our panels and we asked people how many people were actually actively DMing right now, almost everybody in the room raised their hand, and there were hundreds of people there. That was yeah. quite astonishing. Yeah. yeah, we filled up both of our panels, yeah. which was nice. Having like 800 people in a room wanting to talk about D&D is pretty cool. And we also had the, well, we didn't have it to show off, but there's the new Neverwinter MMO, which is being produced by Cryptic. And so that was pretty exciting to see. Um, and it was good to see people lining up to play it. I've actually I've had a chance to play it. I really like the game. You know, it's kind of funny. You don't want to just be a, like, have a commercial for like, our new game is great. But I, I, I have to admit, I'm not a big MMO guy. I've tried MMOs, never really got too into them. Uh, I played DDO for a bit. And uh, and playing um, Neverwinter, it's really exciting to get really immersed into it. And I wanted to keep playing. Uh, yeah. I, was, I was on the alpha server, though, so my character has probably been zapped already. But to, to me, it was really telling that Monday where you came in and you confessed, I spent the whole weekend playing this game. <laughs> so that, that's awesome. Yeah, it's never really happened to me with an MMO before like this. Yeah. So, yeah. So, it's, uh, so it's exciting. So, uh, you know, we're really excited to, for the game's release. And uh, it was good to see people turn out at PAX East. Uh, there's also the classic video game arcade. I got I to always go in there at PAX oh, East yeah. to play Galaga. Oh, you can't because it's lines. But I got to play Trivial, uh, Trivial Pursuit, which, I mean, when you're playing a trivia game from 1985, 
in 2013. It's a little odd. You know, these are 28-year-olds. <laughs> a lot of questions about Milton Berle. A lot more than maybe you'd expect nowadays. Every category becomes the history category. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. right. And I just thought it was funny. That's like the, the most unloved game in the room. Because the games are all free to play. So like Galaga and Zaxxon mm-hmm. have lines. But there's mm-hmm. Trivial Pursuit. Anyone who wants to play it can just walk up and play video Trivial, trivial Pursuit. The uh, Was there anything, Chris, for you that um, was exciting at the show? I spent most of my time uh, disrupting other people's games. Uh, that was that was my fun. Uh, the other thing was we were able to give out some nice prizes at the end of the DM challenge uh, to the DMs who had scored the highest, and that was very, very cool, too. Uh, other than that, uh, getting to uh, hang out a bit more with my buddy Scott was kind of nice. Mm-hmm. We were able to plot a little bit about the future of Table Titans mm-hmm. and nice. talk about other opportunities to work together. Cool. So what did, what did you mean when you said uh, DMs that scored the highest? How, how did you score the DMs? Uh, the way it worked was at the end of every game, the players at the table would basically be given these little slips of paper where they could just score their DMs oh, in a okay. variety of cool. categories. And then all of those were turned in at the end of the games and the totals were tabulated over the course of the whole weekend. Nice. So the, the DM would have multiple chances to interact with different players in the final tally of the results, a lot of close calls, and then uh, the first, second, and third highest scores were rewarded. Nice. Yeah, at last year's PAX East, I wandered around and watched some of the DMs participating in the DMs Challenge, and it was amazing to see some of the things the DMs had created for their players. I, I think the one that stuck with me most was the DM who had created an in-world newspaper for the Eberron game that he, that he was running. And yeah. I mean, com- like total, you know, graphic layout, everything. It looked like it had been made in world and handed it out to us. It, it's amazing what a lot of the DMs do for their games. At the Minds of Madness event at PAX East, one of the DMs had created cutouts of all of the rooms. Hmm. So basically, he could build the dungeon on the table as the characters were going through it. I thought that was pretty ingenious. Yeah. So speaking of DMing, Chris, you have your. The DM experience, am I getting the name right of your column? Oh, yes. Every week. And that, so that is actually wrapping up or has wrapped up. That wrapped up on the Thursday right before PAX East. Essentially, your column recounted your chronicles as a DM. That's right. Through the course of my fourth edition Iomandra campaign, uh, which for those who don't know, I ran or I, I run actually twice a week on Mondays and Wednesdays for two different groups of players. Yep, two groups, which include both Rodney and Jeremy. Yes. That's right, and they, they're they in different groups. Right. Yes. Jeremy's part of my Monday group, and Rodney's part of my Wednesday group. That's right. Our And our group is still going, which I can't say about the Wednesday. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we, we may or may not have blown ourselves up with the D&D equivalent of a thermonuclear weapon, yeah. 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 Although, interestingly, in that campaign, Jeremy and I, our characters were linked despite being in separate worlds because oh. our both of our characters uh, shared the same wizard uh, master. And Yes. Uh, I actually had delusions that I'd have crossover events between uh, the two <laughs> groups, but scheduling 16 players mm-hmm. uh, to, to swap knights was just too much of a nightmare. Yeah. So what would you say after working on, obviously running a lot of D&D campaigns and working on this column, if you could give one piece of advice to a DM, what would that, what would that thing be? What would be the best, best piece of advice that you could come up with that, that to you is like the crux of it all? Let the players bring the food. <laughs> That's good advice. That's consistently <laughs> applied in our game. I like that. That's very practical. That's, yeah. uh... my, my advice is to don't worry about ever running out of ideas. You'll never run out of ideas. Just use whatever you got. Throw it in there. Don't save it for a rainy day. And just trust in the fact that more ideas will come. Yeah. 
So now, what would you guys say from Chris's campaign that you've, you've been playing in? What, what's the, what was the highlight? What was the best part of it? Well, so in, in our group, it's still going. Um, he likes to say that over and over. Again. Yeah, I know. <laughs> He's sort of rubbing it in, and like well, he says it and kind of smiles at me, like, yeah. "Oh, our, stu- our group's still We're going, still playing." Well, well, that's for for those of you listening who don't know. Ever from the very beginning of these of these duo campaigns, there's been this rivalry between the Monday night yes. and the Wednesday night yes. groups. Yes. And and the Monday night group is sort of the good group. Uh, <laughs> That's true. Uh, your group we always think of as like the uh, the campaign equivalent of like an episode of Frasier, where ours is like Jerry Springer. So. <laughs> um, but yeah, the thing I have loved throughout the entire campaign is how inventive you are, Chris, as our DM. I mean, every week I I can come to a session and I know we're going to be surprised by some some new twist. It's like, it's like watching, you know, a TV show you love where, you know, you just have faith that every time you turn it on, there's going to be something you didn't expect. A lot of my DMing style is informed by my television watching habits and my fondness for serialized dramas. And, and that's what they, that's what they do. Every episode is some opportunity to reveal something about a character you didn't know, or to have something happen that's going to affect the course of events going forward. Is there a show in particular that you find that you learned from or that you model your campaigns after? Not one show, no. I uh, steal a lot from uh, Star Trek, from Buffy and its various uh, incarna- other incarnations or Buffy-like shows, from The Tudors to Game of Thrones to just about anything. Mad Men. X-Files. X-Files. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't have to be anything to do with the genre of uh, medieval fantasy. Yeah. What about you, Rodney? What's, what's uh, stands out? So this is the second Chris Perkins campaign I've played in. And I will say I can't point to a single event, but more a an approach that Chris took uh, for my character. I think this is the first time I have ever been repeatedly goaded into inter-party conflict as much <laughs> as, as uh, Chris did in this campaign. Because it seemed like almost every week my character was being pitted in some way against another player character. Like I, my character was a servant of the Raven Queen. And uh, the, when, the, when, when your deity that you worship comes to you and says, listen, I'm going to need you to destroy your party member. It's just like, uh, well, I, I guess that's what I have to do. So uh, this campaign was interesting because Chris was constantly throwing me into conflict with the other PCs, who I had, you know, obviously, a positive relationship as well. So there was, I, I had a lot of fun playing with that sort of inner torment of like, oh, you know, my my friends that I've been so loyal to and I've come through so much with. They were they're bad the, people. They're bad people, right? <laughs> Hans, are we the baddies, right? Like, there's a lot of times where we questioned whether we were actually the good guys. But at the same time, you know, I didn't want to betray them, even though my, my goddess was telling me to do so. So that was probably one of the most consistent themes with my character that Chris really pushed on a lot throughout the whole campaign. So, Chris, how did you manage that in terms of having a conflict within the party? A lot of it was actually built into the concepts of the characters themselves mm. in terms of their desires and the, the forces sort of controlling their destiny, the, the choices that players had made about what their characters believe in and what they do. Anytime I can sort of take one character's aspirations and another character's aspirations and have something happen that creates a sort of division or tension in the party, I will try to do that. In the case of what Rodney described, uh, in my campaign, Warforged are not mm-hmm. living constructs. They're actually empowered by necrotic energy, uh, which the Raven Queen and her worshippers considered an abomination. 
And so when one of the players decided after his character had died to play a Warforged character, I knew instantly that there was going to be a tension there. So how do you keep that tension from getting out of control, or is that, <laughs> is that okay? Do you, do you just assume that at some point the characters will come to blows? I assume, I push as hard as I can. With a, with a party, with a group of players that I know well, who like to play together, um, they're not adversarial toward one another normally. I, I try to push them as hard as I can. If I were playing for a different group of players, I might not go as far as I do with this particular group. Yeah, it really helps that most of us, at least in the Wednesday group, have played in Chris's campaign in, in this one or the previous one for uh, over six years now. So, right. If, if by chance, group. Rodney had decided to actually go through with what he had been told to do and knock off the <clears throat> Warforged character, I could say with some assurance that the player of the Warforged character would not hold a grudge against right. Rodney. Right. And we kind of knew that, right? But at the same time, it was fun to play with that conflict uh, ourselves and yeah. and try to find an out. Yeah. yeah. Try to find a workaround, some way to yeah. sort of finagle your way out of the situation. Yeah, it was really great fun for me as a player because I could really play up the drama of that that sort of internal choice. And I think it's to make it work as a DM, I have to brush aside any assumption that I know how it's going to end. I have mm. to roll with the punches just as much as they do. If I set up the situation, I can't assume that the Warforged is going to get whacked or Rodney's going to betray the Raven Queen. I just have to live with whatever they decide and move forward. Mm-hmm. And, and as, a, as one of his players, for me, any time there's been conflict, it never concerns me precisely because I can always tell that Chris is adjusting on the fly. You know, again, like in a well-written TV show that the writers are doing what they need to do to keep the, the story exciting, engaging. Yeah, and the best part of that is when things happen that I'm not planning for and it totally seems to screw up my campaign, that's when I'm actually happiest. Because then I go, I go back and I think about where, where can I go next. Yeah. All of my assumptions have been challenged or shot down, and that just makes it more dynamic for me. Yeah, if everything happened the way you thought it would, you wouldn't have anything to do. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So shifting gears to talk a little bit uh, on the topic of dungeon mastering, but talking a little bit about uh, D&D Next. So, Chris, uh, why don't you talk a little bit to the audience about what your role is in the D&D Next team right now? So my role in the D&D Next team is to, apart from the typical producer tasks of helping to manage scheduling stuff and keep projects on track and make sure that everybody has what they need to do their job right, my role is really to focus on getting the things that are important to DMs in the system and in the world in the best shape that they can be to make the game easy to play, fun to play, and to make the world elements really stand out. So a lot of my emphasis is on monster concepting and monster design, on figuring out what all of the different planar cosmological elements are going to be in the system and how the DM can best play with those to create their own cosmologies, Uh, making sure that the rules that the DM has to remember are clean, clear, and don't get in the way of the fun. Cool. Is there anything in specific that you think you'd like to see added to the game or kind of a thing that you'd be like, oh, if I, to me, next will succeed if, and like, what would you put at the end of that sentence? I would say next would succeed. Next will succeed if we come up with a way to present adventures that don't require a lot of DM preparation to run. A structural way of presenting information. We have been toying with this with some of our more recent uh, D&D Next 
adventure building things, the Minds of Madness being a good example, trying to create adventures that are flexible. They don't sort of force the story down a particular line. They give the DM room to be creative while at the same time giving the DM enough that the DM doesn't feel like he's only got half an adventure or she's only got half an adventure. I think adventure tech is really where I'm putting a lot of my energy right now, coming up with ways to make adventures that feel classic, that feel iconic, that you want to run over and over, that have great shared experiences, great stories behind them, and a lot of the unexpected things that we've been talking about, uh, things that you that get out of the norm. You know, Orcs don't have to be boring. Orcs can be the most fun things ever. It's just how they are treated and how they're presented. Yeah, yeah I think that's a good standard. I think my favorite adventures are ones that I've wanted to run again and again. Yeah. It's, it's like telling someone a funny story or, you know, like when you first meet someone, you know, if you're dating or just a friend of yours or someone you've met, you kind of have your stories like, oh, this is a funny thing I want to, you know, you know, it's going to be a funny story or something weird that's happened to you. I think with gamers, like the best adventures are ones where I can't wait to run this. You've never played d before? Oh, I this is going to be great. I'm going to run this this adventure. I'm going to run Keep of the Borderlands or I'm going to run, you know, whatever the, your adventure is. And it might be something you've written yourself, but it's something which you like seeing how people react to it and what happens. Exactly. And every adventure has some number of kind of very memorable encounter elements. They may not be full-blown, super dramatic encounters, but just cool things that were thrown into the adventure that are memorable. Everything from the Sphere of Annihilation in the Devil Face in Tomb of Horrors to the floating uh, funeral barge in Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. Every adventure that I remember most fondly has a lot of these little things that are in them that sort of withstand the test of time because of their originality. Yeah. It's also a lot of fun to see how different groups interact with the same adventure, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, the, the adventures I want to run over and over again are the ones that have plenty of ways for them to turn out differently, right? So when the group comes in, it could go in a lot of different directions. I really like that. Cool. Well, I think that wraps it up for this week. Thanks to Chris for being our special guest star. Thanks, Thanks for having me. Thanks to Rodney and Jeremy for coming along as co-hosts. Pleasure as always. Indeed. And also, of course, thanks to Bart for being our tech and taking care of the audio. Thanks for listening. And until our next podcast, good gaming. <laughs>